You are traveling through another dimension. It is a dimension as vast as our ignorance and as timeless as our arrogance. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between thought and superstition. It is an area we call night rule. Uh, my name is Isaac. I'm very pleased to be joined again uh, so quickly after his last appearance by friend of the show and professor at Queen's University, uh, director of the Department of Religions, chair of the Department of Religions. Yeah, director of the School of Religion. Director of the School of Religion, and they have they still have they still given you any kind of scepter? Has there been any kind of like glowing orb exchange of the any signs, kind? Signs of sovereignty are missing, but I assure you, I have the power. Okay, spoken like a true expert in the field. Um, yeah, we're uh, we just wanted to finish uh, continue our conversation from uh, I guess it was about a week ago now, earlier in the week. Um, but we did there. There was a pretty big story that came out today that I think is honestly, I mean, it's no, it's not surprising in any way because everyone's known about this for years and years and years. Um, anyone who knows anything about Canada knows that uh, the indigenous children and people put in residential schools would just disappear all the time. The disappearances were just known to be a common fact of life. If you were involved in one of these horribly oppressive, disgusting genocidal institutions, you would just, people would just go missing and uh, they knew that they would even dispose of them near, oftentimes on school grounds or nearby. So the fact that the story comes out that um, 215 bodies, 215 children's bodies have been unearthed um, in one residential school in Kamloops I mean, it's the equivalent of a mass grave, basically. But it honestly isn't even, you can't, it's not even the level of attention to detail or process that, that people would put into creating a mass grave, to be honest. It's much more of a disgusting, ad hoc, complete disregard for human life in the fact that, you know, in the environs of a school, they've now unearthed 215 uh, children's bodies victims of this savage and disgusting and reprehensible and really like I don't think many of us could really imagine the kind of horror that would be um, unleashed in this kind of situation. Um, for those that don't know the residential school system is something that existed for decades. The last one was closed in 1996. So we're talking very much about recent history and Adnan the first question I have for you as a fellow resident of Canada um, is how many more mass graves are there yet to be unearthed in this so-called tolerant, uh, peaceful nation? I think we'll find that there are many, you know, looking for them is the only reason why we haven't been finding them. And that's because the whole policy has been to suppress a real accounting of this horrific phenomenon. And it's only been recently with the Truth and Reconciliation Commission that there's been public attention and any kind of accounting whatsoever. But I think you will find that uh, this kind of casual neglect and disregard, uh, these are not, as you point out, mass graves that are from one time period. What they are is a history of denial and uh, indignity. Um, the ultimate uh, symbol of the lack of regard and value for these human lives that they could just be thrown away as if it's a dump a heap that then um, that this was just human refuse to be casually tossed away 
And that is, to me, what is so incredibly disgusting and sad about this history that has to be unearthed and accounted for. Because I think if you actually start looking, you will find that this was probably a pretty common way of, of, of dealing with the victims of these residential schools. Now, let's remember uh, that the estimates are that there were some thousand or so children. Right, can you just say, say that one more time? You cut out for a second there. It's just we should remember that the estimates are that there are about 4,000 or so uh, children who mm. died in the residential schools. Mm. And of course, the number will go up as we realize and really do the accounting. And obviously, tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands that have gone that were subjected to the system. That probably not a single uh, First Nations or Aboriginal family in Canada that doesn't have a family member that went through it, right? Exactly. I mean, they estimate about 150,000 children. And, you know, there, there could be more than that. But so what you have to understand and imagine is that there was a fairly high incidence of death that took place. Uh, but for those who survived, the regime under which they lived was one of starvation, sickness, um, mistreatment, abuse, trauma. Oh. And before we go too much farther for a lot of people, because honestly, it's not really as widely known as it should be even by a long shot. Let's lay out what the residential school system in Canada was, okay? It started, what, in the early 20th century? Or even 1870s, I 1870s, think. 1870s, exactly. So right after Confeder uh, you know, con you know, Confederation. So this is yeah. like so early in Canada's history as an independent nation is mm. the policy of the residential schools. And of course, the first prime minister of Canada, Sir John A. Macdonald, and I live in at Queen and Queen's is, University is in the hometown of Sir John A. Macdonald. He is credited, if you want to use the word credit, um, with uh, the policy. Accused. Some, yeah, he's been accused of yeah. being the motive force behind this policy of residential schools starting in the 1870s yeah and basically the idea was and we've seen there's there's been there's analogous institutions in other places uh you can look at australia and That's to be right. honest the canadian system you know having been created so early was an inspiration quite frankly for many other countries and quite a trendsetter in uh the field of genocide and cultural genocide you could say in this respect so basically the idea is okay well we can't we, we need to quote unquote integrate the Aboriginal or Indigenous population into our culture. So that means we're going to kidnap them from and take them away from their, take the kids away from their parents, put them in a school run by usually a uh, Catholic school system or a Catholic authority, right? I mean, not in all cases, but I believe in most. Correct? Not in all cases. There are also Protestant uh, schools. And yes. I think when you see the analogies in other countries, in those, they could very well be also Protestant. It wasn't exclusively a Catholic uh, sort of system. Yes. And I mean, the first thing to note off the start is uh, it was forbidden completely for these children to speak their their native languages. Yes. So that was punishable by, by beatings and other discipline, other quote unquote disciplinary measures, physical violence. But think of it on that level. You're, that's cultural genocide in and of itself. To kidnap a child, take them away from the family, the only home they've ever known, and tell them you're, you're not allowed to speak the way you've only the only way you've ever known how to speak. You must speak this new language. Like even the fucking Nazis didn't pull shit like that. 
like that's it's it's horrific to even think about on on that level alone right and then on top of that you add the physical violence sexual abuse of all kinds obviously mm-hmm. you know i would i would imagine there's many bodies of young uh of young women who were buried because some fucking priest or whoever the fuck had their way and then they got pregnant and it became a problem for this person mm-hmm. i mean i'm oh, sure yes. that was commonplace you know and the, these are the creating when you create these kinds of you know, you create a concentration camp, you're going to change morality for everyone involved, obviously, right? Um, and, you know, kids would run away. Oftentimes, the ones that ran away would be returned and, and, and disciplined uh, the most harshly as a message to others. And basically, the, the, whole, the whole concept was, we're going we're gonna to take these kids away from their culture, we're going to destroy this culture and make them our maids and nannies and factory workers and, and uh, waitresses and waiters or whatever the fuck you know yeah it was it was was explicitly the purpose and the fact that this system existed well into the late 20th century is just completely shocking in and of itself it's like and yet and yet Canada has this this image of being a tolerant peaceful we're overly polite etc moose RCM uh, you know Mountie although you know this is really like you Similarly, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police are kind of another arm of the same apparatus against the Indigenous population, obviously. You you read about residential schools, you know about the RCMP in Saskatchewan, just, uh, you know, they pick up Aboriginal guy to drive him out of town in minus 40 degree weather and open the door and say, okay, walk home. And you think of Vancouver, where we have the highway of of murdered and missing Indigenous women and the fact that the crimes against them um, have not, you know, were really uninvestigated for so long to the point where there was some insane serial killer. You know, I mean, they had every forensic anthropologist in Canada working, digging up bodies at that motherfucker's pig farm. And they're probably going to have to employ them all again, multiple times to dig up the mass graves of these victims here. Um, I mean, obviously, it's fair to say, if someone buried, murdered and buried 215 white Canadian children around and buried them around the environs of a school, Someone would, someone would have gone to fucking jail for that, right? Oh, someone absolutely. would have been charged with a crime, perhaps? Well, I mean, what we're really talking about are crimes against humanity. I mean, these are of a scale. This is just the tip of the iceberg in terms of numbers, I'm sure. This is really on a very large scale. No one really has been held responsible in the sense that uh, there should be criminal charges. Uh, this is criminal neglect uh, at the very least. I mean, this is, however, a major policy by a settler colonial nation, um, by arms of the state and by affiliated religious bodies and institutions to forcibly assimilate the subjected population of a settler colonial state. And so when we talk about the suppression of their language, in indigenous languages it was accompanied also let's be honest by a kind of forced conversion you know this is a policy essentially of removing these indigenous people these indigenous children from the uh you know traditions and spiritual orientations and cultural heritage of their ancestors it's to break this culture and to destroy it as part of a civilizing mission. You know, it's an example of white supremacy, of a kind of aggressive Christian hegemony that went with it and together with it. And, um, you know, 
um, it's a it's a policy within history that has deep roots. I don't know if anybody who's thinking about it in the contemporary context is really aware of how deep the history goes in the policy of forced assimilation and conversion. There were similar strategies developed and deployed, for example, in Iberia after the 1492 conquests. There is a period of the forced conversion and to Christianity of the Muslim population. They were forced to convert to Christianity. They became mm -hmm. known, however, as the community of the Moriscos. That is, yeah, they, 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 they even demonized them in spite of that fact. It, did, it didn't oh, gain yes. them any traction at all. It well, was, that's right. Levels upon levels of, of mistreatment. Exactly. Well, the Inquisition, you know, people think the Inquisition targeted Jews. But in fact, of course, the Inquisition targets heretical Christians, right? So you forcibly convert people and then you judge them and investigate them for not being fully Christianized and having, you know, uh, unorthodox practices. So the Inquisition was a way of surveillance and monitoring of this population. But eventually they were forbidden. For example, the Moriscos were forbidden from uh, speaking Arabic. And you, so it was a similar suppression of the language. They suppressed a, a variety of cultural practices, traditional dance, uh, you know, henna patterns that women uh, would have to decorate their skin. What a, the, the, height of, the height of ridiculousness to ban cultural practices such as this. You know, like the arrogance that you would take, like we, we, we all shed a tear when uh, an animal species goes extinct because something unique and special has been right. lost forever. But yes. it, what does it fucking mean when you're trying to destroy the culture of a, a group of human beings? You know, like yes. what is being lost there? You know, there's, there's an, it's, it's an order of magnitude higher what is being lost, I would say in that there's there's just centuries upon centuries potentially of accumulated human knowledge wisdom insight social cohesion epigenetic cultural memory i mean go you can go on and on and on and on yeah, and on cultural output culture yes that's right yeah, like you're like <sighs> but the point i wanted to make please, about yes, history is that there's also a very specific connection is that part of the policy of trying to forcibly assimilate muslims through their forcible conversion and cultural suppression was also removing their children and forcing them to attend special schools under the care of, you know, monks, priests, nuns away from their families. And this resulted in ultimately the expulsion of the Moriscos takes place in 1609 to 1614. However, they they kept the Spanish authorities kept and prevented children aged 10 and under from being expelled with their families. They were kept and distributed, you know, in other families because they were assimilable at that age. And so this kind of policy, this kind of idea that the way you wipe out a people and destroy their culture uh, by through assimilation usually does target children and their education and removing and separating them from their families and from their communities in order to inculcate a new ideology, a new identity, because they're, you know, felt that you could cut off a whole generation and the transmission of culture in that fashion. And that's what was being done in Canada for over a century. As you pointed out, the last school was closed in 1996. Yeah. 
Okay. Clinton was president. You know, yeah. Friends, Friends was on the air, Seinfeld. And this was still going on. I mean, it's also just, um, I don't know what it is with, uh, I mean, it's all, on a certain level. I mean, obviously I, I could say rhetorically, has it ever even really worked? But obviously it has. There has been cultural genocide that's been successful, quite frankly. There's obvious examples of it. Um, but first of all, that's not really the world we're supposed to be living in. And it hasn't been for a long time, as far as I'm concerned, at least according to the ideological kind of superstructure that we've all been sold. You know what I mean? Um, and it's frustrating because even like, for example, you know, I do the hockey podcast and there was a big story when the Oilers got swept in the playoffs because uh, we had one player who's a defenseman, young player uh, who had a couple of really bad turnovers in the playoffs, happens to be an indigenous guy and he got all this racist bullshit on social media and it became a story. And, you know, some people would be, would be calling into the call-in show saying, you know, I don't want, I don't want to hear politics on you know, my sports show. And I don't think this is like really relevant or like, it doesn't really affect me. It's not like people act as though this is something that's like been dealt with or already happened. But, you know, as far as I'm concerned, if your country still has to unearth mass graves, it probably means it's fucking relevant to the conversation, no matter what, almost quite frankly. And we really need to grow the fuck up in Canada and actually take some ownership for the fact that we had, we did, we were responsible for one of the most reprehensible institutions in the history of mankind. You know, I don't know if it's top 10, top 15, top five, however you slice it, but, uh, you know, <laughs> it's just, it's just shocking to me that, that I can, I can wake up here, uh, my comfortable life, read a story about 215 bodies being found near a school, turn on CTV News Vancouver, who have on you know, a, a local uh, chief of, I don't know, I can't remember what band it was. And they have a, an interview where they basically just focus on how heartbreaking it is. And uh, I think it ended with, you know, how beautiful it was that this person had the strength to speak out about the trauma. And it's like, at a certain point, do we need to move on from it being heartbreaking and, and move on to someone being put in fucking bracelets and being held accountable for murder? Well, exactly. And this is why history is so important. Um, because we have to document and actually account for what actually happened and be interested to find all of these details because that's the basis for holding people responsible. If it's just vaguely, you know, like, so who was responsible for administering this school? Who worked there? You know, what yeah. were their instructions when a child, you know, died. Why were no authorities contacted to report the death? It's like, it's like we're still in the cultural space where we're inviting the pedophile priest over and giving them cookies and saying, you know, we're really sorry this whole thing happened. Let's just make sure we kind of don't, don't focus on it too much. And we'll just move on from this like troubled kind of gray, undefined history. Um, well, like, that's yeah. why it's called the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. It should be, you know, truth, there's been a de-emphasis on it. So there's some small admission, not to the full extent of what has happened. This is only, you know, that report is only a broad documentation. The full details of this clearly are still coming out. So the full truth has not been told and what efforts are really being put in to investigate and make sure these are widely known, distributed and disseminated, that our curricula change, that everything about how we characterize ourselves as a nation takes this truth into account. That is a big step that has yet to be taken. And then the second part is reconciliation. They've jumped to reconciliation because they think is reconciliation just means 
saying an apology, broadly speaking, for whatever happened in general terms, and then moving on and not having to face or confront any future repercussions, responsibility or accountability or changes as a result of it. What we should be talking about are reparations and historic to historically documented crimes and hold people actually accountable for what has been done. Now, maybe you cannot prosecute people, you know, when things were legal, you know, there will be legal questions about how you do that or people who have died and so on. But we're talking 1996. This is not far removed in the mists of history. This affects people to this very day. There are people alive who are suffering the trauma of what was done to them just in the 80s and 90s. And the fact that the uh, publishing of this report as a reconciliation report to me puts the cart before the horse. There has been no full accounting and you know, if we're going to use an R word, as I said, the word has to be reparations, not just reconciliation. Mm. Yes, because even so, because without that, we find that you have this backlash uh, happening. You know, that in the five years since the TRC report, the commissioners are warning. There's a recent, you know, article about this that are warning that there's, and this is before finding this mass grave, warning that anti-Indigenous racism is escalating. So obviously, Whatever the process that was involved uh, to get to the TRC, there hasn't been enough follow through and it didn't go far enough to really start rolling back and ultimately decolonizing. That is taking out the settler colonial heritage and um, structures that continue to act through the Canadian state. This is just a way of perpetuating. This TRC report, if nothing more is done, is a way of perpetuating and authorizing and cleansing in some sort of simplistic fashion the settler colonial state of, of, of Canada. Do you think that I mean, the reason why, uh, you know, uh, anti-Indigenous uh, racism is is uh, going up, it might have something to do with the fact that that uh, liberal snowflake zealots on Twitter are just pissing people off being assholes about identity politics and wokeness. And this is and, and that affects people who are actually fighting for really serious um, fighting really serious battles on the ground for things like indigenous rights in Canada and, and the truth coming out about the situation in Canada for indigenous people. Um, I mean, is it fair to say that 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 might be one one way that the well is being poisoned? Well, I I, I do fear that discursively uh, we've gone in a totally unproductive way. If I think back to the um, election a couple of years ago, um, you know, there was an awful lot of talk about um, truth and reconciliation. Um, well, I, I did want to highlight uh, Jagmeet Singh had one press conference that I thought was really well done, although I'm, I'm not necessarily 100% a fan of his, although generally, right. of course, I would align with the NDP as, in terms of a social democratic policy base. Um, yeah. But he basically, you know, it was about the, and this this has to be brought up as well, the, the fact that, you know, a huge, I think the majority or massive percentage of Indigenous people in Canada don't have access to clean drinking water. And he was in this press exactly. conference where one reporter said, well, you know, like, how much is it going to cost, though? You know, he's, he was trying to be the like, oh, what's what's, you know, the reasonable centrist, how much is going to cost right. guy? And Jagmeet, said, Jagmeet Singh said, and I thought quite eloquent, he said, look, if the people living in Edmonton didn't have access to clean drinking water, you wouldn't be asking me that question. If the people in Toronto didn't have access to clean drinking water or Vancouver or Montreal or Regina, 
you would not be asking me that question. And it comes down to if your culture is capable of prior, actually giving people the proper level of priority. Because if anything, this story continues to demonstrate loudly and potentially we're taking steps backwards even it sounds like in our, our inability to recognize that the Canadian experience has been completely different for indigenous people in Canada as a group. A lot of it has been incredibly reprehensible and, and we, but, but to us as a culture at large, speaking as a white Canadian, generally speaking, we're, they're invisible to us. They're invisible to us and we just assume, hey, they're getting free gasoline for life from their band and free university and they probably have a great life because, oh, you know, I'm sure the government is like, they get special rights when people don't realize that all that shit is actually tied to your individual group and the level of funding is completely based on that, et cetera, et cetera. It's like the curriculum has to change for sure. That's just like step one. Exactly. But like, we're not going to see dividends from that for decades. So right now I want to see, uh, you know, get, get the fucking cops on it. Like why, like the fact the same, it's the same thing with the murdered and indigenous women in BC. Mm-hmm. It's just mm-hmm. the cops just, it's not, a, it was not a priority. It's, it's not a thing. And I'm sure you see the same thing in America. You see the same thing in all parts of the world where some neighborhoods you die, not really a big deal. You know what? And the cop might have to show up to the crime scene, fill out a report, uh, you know, kind of grimace a little bit, maybe feel a little bad about it if they're actually like a halfway decent person. But they also recognize they're, they're not going to be able to change the, the reality of the world that we live in and the society and, and, it's, and the expectations it has of, of, of people and the value that it places on people and the different values it can place on different people at different times, which, you know, just on like an animal level, on a species level, it's just so disgusting, you know, and really just horrifying to think about. It is. I mean, I can't agree with you more. And I remember that press conference as well. Um, that really, um, that you know, that really dramatized what a settler colonial state is about. Is that the things that you take for granted for the settler for one community uh, suddenly become a problem or have to be you know budgeted considered. For- yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, let's do another study. We should really investigate this. Things that would be absolutely no question that are intolerable, you know. Yeah. But uh, it's okay for other people, right? This is this is the this is the whole point. Is that until you know their rights are respected, their value, and that's again what just so angers me and upsets me about this story is is that indignity, the indignity of the way in which these children were treated, you know, as like refuse, you know, that's the, that's what typifies the whole settler colonial attitude towards indigenous uh, people is that their lives just don't matter. They're not as valuable. Um, so which is just if, if any human being with, with a, a, a thought in their head is not does not feel saddened by that, you know, I really question where you're coming from. You know, I really question where you're coming from when you imagine someone who's supposed to be a teacher, a mentor, a spiritual advisor, taking a child out to the back of the school in the middle of the night with a shovel, killing them and, and, and burying their body in a shallow grave. Like, how is that not? And how the fact that that's happening again, and we're talking about thousands of bodies, probably, mm-hmm. really, when it's all, it's going to be in the thousands, I think. Yes. Again, we do not know what mass graves are yet to be uncovered because we, it's like I keep on coming back to the wire memes, you know. It's like hmm. we don't we gotta we don't want to pull the the we don't want to pull the doors off because we were worried about the bodies we might find. Yeah, um, 
Yeah. And, you know, do you think that if 215 white kids were buried at some school somewhere, someone wouldn't be in fucking jail over it? Like, give me a break, man. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I, I had been thinking when I just first heard the story about that, these people had such a duty of care. These children were in their care. This was an institution designed and set up for whatever this malicious purpose of their forced assimilation. But these were kids, you know, their charge and their control. And all you can see is coming out of this by the evidence of the mass grave, by knowing about reports and uh, firsthand accounts of starvation, of suffering illness and lack of proper medical care and so on, is hatred of a kind. You know, it's like, how could you allow this to happen to children in your care unless you really regarded them as of less value than you and that there's some kind of you know not not a, not a expressly or consciously felt sort of hate but a just broad categorical you know hatred of these people for who they are and you know you're trying to change them because the ideology is that they should be assimilated because their difference is a problem to be reviled so well we can ch we can change them into us but yet you don't really believe you can change them into us otherwise you would have treated them with dignity you know it's the uh, problem of, it's a problem that stems from supremacy it's the problem of having conquered a people um and knowing that you've dispossessed them knowing that you've ruined their life and their culture exactly generally speaking and subconsciously knowing you know what like unless this is for some higher purpose or unless unless or unless they're destroyed entirely this doesn't make sense just on a cognitive level and i think that's where a lot of the hatred comes from i think that's the same reason why people don't want to know what the politics and economics of Latin America and yes. sub-Saharan Africa are because they know, you know what, if I actually looked into this, it might actually speak to my complicity or my They're involvement complicit. in an economic system that is actually doing this. And, right. you know, you don't want to, you don't want to turn over that rock because, but I mean, See, it's this just, is it's the also thing that just, happens. Yeah. This is the thing that happens is that we know and can account and we're outraged by the trauma, the suppression, the, the death and the, the oppression of the indigenous colonized. But you know, what we have to account for and recognize is how much this has morally undermined and perverted the colonizer as well. I mean, this is disgusting. And you cannot, Franz Fanon at the end of Wretched of the Earth has this amazing passage where he talks about the need for a new humanism and how Europe has to wake up and actually confront what has happened under colonialism and that they can no longer be like sleeping beauty. It's an amazing image. It's like, you know, the beautiful white, you know, princess who's just been you know, or, you know, heroin who's, who's sleeping. I don't know anything about that. You know, I didn't know that all these people had to be suppressed for me to live this privileged life. Well, again, it comes to, it's, so it's, such, it's such opportunism. Whiteness is a complete construct. It doesn't exist. It changes all the time. Who, like what it means, who gets to be white changes all the time. It's pure opportunism. It purely comes down to how the fuck am I going to leverage whatever this wacky structure is we've set up before, Certain people have a license have a license to maneuver themselves in a certain way. That's right. And it's a power relation. If indigenous Canadians had put white Canadians in schools and molested them and killed them and starved them, <laughs> you know, like 
it's just like it's yeah exactly it's power relations it's facts on the ground it's drinking water it's being allowed to speak your own language or not it's things that are very very easy to understand it's very simple in a lot of ways and that's one thing that i have uh I have updated on my thoughts and we can transition this into a related topic. We can hit on Israel-Palestine for the last five minutes before we break. Um, you know, you, the simplicity of the situation is important to talk about. I think that's one thing that I think rhetorically is a success for a lot of people commenting on the left about the situation in, in Israel and the occupied territories right now, because, you know, it, it, you want to remove the mask of, of people that do use complexity as a shield for real deep analysis you know saying well it's a really complicated situation there's many different sides you have to be an expert to really speak on it or you could even say you know you have to have a certain positionality or a certain identity to speak on it and a lot of those a lot of the times i think it's been revealed that 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 is a mechanism for not actually delving down to the root of a problem or a conflict right yes i mean you know obviously history is complicated social life is complicated but if you don't have a moral clarity about uh, what a friend of mine calls the indivisibility of justice, right? The justice is whole. Every you know, there's no justice if. That's if so fascinating because I've been thinking lately about the uh, about the infinite divisibility of time. Hmm. But but the, this concept seems very interesting as well. Tell me more. Well, just the idea that you cannot partition justice and have differential distribution of justice. And if you really recognize a principled humanism, injustice to one is somehow an injustice to all of us that we cannot partition. And this is, we are always encouraged to think of these partitions to separate populations by in various ways so that they can be, uh, you know, they, they, their rights and their uh, identity and their humanity can be partitioned out so that one group can have privilege of, of a kind and the others suffer some sort of oppression and injustice. And yes. if we allow that to happen, then we are not really recognizing the true intertwined nature of justice, of, 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 of how it's a concept um, that requires that requires us to be engaged with one another and um, to recognize the full humanity of others in order to actually achieve the full humanity of ourselves. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it begs the question of you know, what does what does the word like humanity mean or the concept of of humanity mean? You know, like are are any humans more human than other humans? And the answer is no. You know, we know this from Animal Farm. You know, satirically speaking, um, but we really need to alter our thinking in a very profound, consistent, and strategic way in order to foster uh, what I'm going to call the new humanitude, which is a new attitude towards what it means to be a human being mm -hmm. and what some of the basic facts of that definition really entail, which is, you know, people having their basic fucking needs met and, and their dignity enshrined in our structures and our institutions and our, our philosophy. I think it would be an interesting uh, project to pursue is think through this idea of a new humanism, a new humanitude. Um, I, I go back to Fanon, who I think really, you know, really profoundly engaged this question coming out of the colonial condition that um, 
we needed to rethink humanism in a in a in a new way. Um, oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, because obviously, if if our base, if our definition is based on unequal uh, treat, uh, equal treatment of unequals, unequal treatment of equals, uh, uh, bad distribution, um, uneven development. You know, the, these are things that would be would would actually like be problems in your philosophy and, and your approach to everything. If, if you're going to build around them, right? Like we, and we should have, we should have the ability knowing what we know now to start to disentangle that if we actually do the work and we actually talk to each other and we, we go forward on a basis of, of compassion and understanding and discussion as, as opposed to supremacy, which is the paradigm that we're really inheriting. Yeah, that is the paradigm that we're inheriting and it's destructive of our of our humanity. I mean, that's why I, these ideals, principled ideals of justice and, a, and of equality are so difficult to really practice is because there are all these temptations and all of these reasons that are given to us to seek privilege on the basis of you know, class or, you know, ethnic or racial, you know, identity and culture. Um, so it's, you know, we do need a new humanism and we need a culture that um, rethinks the way in which human beings not only, of course, relate to one another, but relate to our broader environment. I mean, there's so many components here to really re-engage and rethink. I mean, I hope I hope this will be a project of night rule because um, it's an important one uh, to engage in. Absolutely. And I know you got a heart out here, Adnan. So thank you so much for jumping on, Mike, here. Really appreciate it. Always enjoy our conversations. Um, and we'll have you, we'll, we'll get you back on real soon. I'm, I'm craving, we're, we're craving more Professor Hussein, I think. Oh, well, I, I crave more, I crave more night rule. I love <laughs> Isaac and, yeah. uh, you know, we'll, we'll figure out ways we can also maybe combine with some of our, uh, other friends in the, uh, friends of the show and do some creative things. So I look forward to future conversations.